Welcome to the Get the Knack Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, coming to you from the Get the Knack Podcast studio here in Ocean Shores, Washington. And I'm joined by my very good friend, former colleague in the National Football League. He is the mild-mannered, except when he's had an adult beverage or two, Gary <laughs> Glenn of Nashville, Tennessee. Gary, welcome to the program. How the hell are you? Gary, I'm doing great. How are you tonight, my friend? Doing very well here on a Friday night. And as always, adult beverages are encouraged on the Get the Knack podcast. I'm drinking a uh, a porter by uh, a brewery called Black Butte. It's called Obsidian, and I've got a glass of 12-year-old Glenfiddich scotch. What are you drinking this evening, my friend? I'm drinking a lime margarita. Uh, we had highs near 80 degrees today, and it kind of got me in the summer mood. So I came home and poured me a nice tall margarita with lots of ice. There you go. That's good. Yeah, we had 56 here in Ocean Shores today. So, yeah, we're looking at spring in the face. Um, oh. Yeah, so the wife and I uh, hit the local brew pub and had an adult beverage, sat outside in the beer garden this afternoon while we waited for a pizza to be made at a pizzeria across the street. So, yeah, nice. it's yeah, we finally um, escaped the rain for a couple of days, which is nice. Yeah, but you're enjoying that that nice oceanside living now out there in the north northwest. So I'm kind of jealous. Absolutely, less than a mile from the beach. Uh, oh, that's yeah. You can hear the ocean from from the backyard. So oh. I need to get out there and see you one of these days. You do. You need to come up and visit, and not not when somebody's playing the Seahawks, right? You got to come up and visit, <laughs> and uh, check out my dear friends. And then when I say dear friends, I mean dear, right? Literally, literally. And, wow. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know the funny thing is everybody talks about oh yeah Seattle and and the Pacific Northwest rain rain rain. I lived in drought in California for more than a decade. Mm. So you know I'd rather have. Uh, I'd rather have some rain. I'd rather have weather. We had our, the, I enjoyed my first white Christmas in more than 20 years. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. You know, Garrett, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show and it, it is a long time coming, right? We've known each other for, uh, for more than 20 years and, you know, years what, what, blah, 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 blah. what was that? I spoke over years you. and I've known you forever. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, you know, our, our careers um, paralleled each other and uh, before they collided in the early 2000s, uh, you know, when the when the Raiders and, and Titans had that thing going on in the late 90s into the early 2000s, leading all the mm -hmm. way up to the 2002 AFC Championship game and, and the 2003 season opener. Um, but, um, Gary, uh, you know, I know how I got into sports writing. You know, it was uh, covering Canadian football, a uh, little rag newspaper out of Baltimore when uh, the CFL expanded into the U.S. Um, I was writing for a magazine out of D.C. in the military at the time, but I moonlighted uh, covering football and then eventually uh, led to me landing with the then Oakland Raiders. How did you get into uh, the National Football League, how did, uh, especially with the Tennessee Titans and, and all that stuff? Yeah, I guess it all started uh, back in high school when I realized I wanted to be a sports writer. So uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., and attended George Mason University and immediately got involved with their campus newspapers, started covering the men's basketball team and did that for my last three years uh, as a student. And that was a great experience and ended up becoming the sports editor of the campus newspaper, which led to an opportunity to do an internship with the Washington then Redskins public relations staff. And that kind of started my career in the NFL. I realized, you know, this is kind of fun and I really like this and decided to pursue that 
and ended up uh, a series of various moves along the way. Green Bay Packers postgraduate PR internship, and then I worked at a college, UNC Wilmington, for two years. That led to my first full-time job with the Atlanta Falcons on their PR staff. Was there four years and then joined the then Tennessee Oilers back in 1998. And then a year later, they became the Titans. So that's how I got involved in sports. You know, it's kind of funny that they, you know, went from the Houston Oilers to the Tennessee Oilers and played a couple of years there at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. And because when I was going to school at uh, Naval Air Station, uh, Millington, Tennessee, uh, before I realized that journalism was where I really belonged in the service, I was fixing airplanes. Um, when I went to school, they had an exhibition game at the Liberty Bowl. It was the then Houston Oilers against the New England Patriots. And I actually got tickets and went to see them play. And it was a f- almost 10 years before um, they moved to Memphis as the transitional period before uh, ending up in Nashville. So it's kind of, wow. yeah, kind of kind of interesting how this all intertwines and comes full circle and, and all of that. But, you know, uh, what year did you join the Tennessee Titans? I joined them in 1998, so I've missed the, the, the year in Memphis, uh, 1997. Uh, and I know they played the Raiders that year at the Liberty Bowl. Yep. Um, but it was, uh, I would have loved to have experienced that year just so I could have been involved in the entire history, you know, from that the period of time I worked there. Um, but they ended up, you know, not drawing many fans and I think broke the lease or re, you know, did a new contract at uh, Vanderbilt. So they, they played there in 1998 as the stadium was being built in downtown Nashville. So uh, got to experience the 98 season in, in Vanderbilt and heard all the stories about the 97 season in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because so cra- here's my, my crazy Liberty bowl story, right? So, 1988, I'm going to school in Millington, and a buddy of mine is like, come on, let's go to the Monsters of Rock concert at the Liberty Bowl. I said, we don't have tickets. He said, don't worry about tickets. All you got to do is just drive. You drive, we'll go. I'll get tickets. I'm like, okay. So it's like, you know, it's Dokken, Van Halen, the Scorpions, right? It's, you know, it's this huge show. Great White, all these groups. And um, so I'm like, all right. So... I don't know how he got tickets. The guy was a huckster. And we get in a car. We drive downtown. We go to to Liberty Bowl. Find parking. Whatever. We go to the show. And we're in the middle of the crowd. I don't remember which band was playing. And you know how girls like to get up on on their boyfriend's shoulders and like to flash the band and do all that stuff. Well, there was a photographer. I remember there was a photographer there taking pictures. And we were standing (laughs) right next to this couple. And the girl was on on the guy's shoulders. So... Um, I remember the reporter, the photographer, asking them their names. Next thing you know, we're getting doused with the fire hose because it's like, you know, you know how it is in the summertime in in Memphis. It's a bajillion degrees. So the next night, I'm at a a friend of mine's house studying. He's in the Marine Corps. And we're we're at his kitchen table, and he's got a copy of the local paper on his kitchen table. And Uh I had taken my glasses off because we had gotten blasted by these water cannons when this photographer was snapping pictures and the guy looked at the paper and saw the picture on the front page said, you know what, knack, if this guy was wearing glasses, that could be you. <laughs> and I looked at it. I said, that is me. That is you. <laughs> it was me, but he's like, nah, that's, he didn't believe me. It was, you know, so there's my Liberty bowl story for you. That, 
Right. So. Yeah, it was freaking crazy. Monsters of Rock 1988, and then later on, obviously, almost 10 years later, going to X, you know, or, you know, that year going to Exhibition Game, and then, you know, less than 10 years later, they're playing in, in the Liberty Bowl uh, regular season football, which is absolutely what, nuts. Chances. It, it just. Chances? Yeah, right. Right. What are, what are the chances, right? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, I would have loved to have experienced that 97 season because it's just part of the history of the franchise. And that's the one, one piece I did not get to experience, but um, definitely, you know, a building year for what was to come years later is Super Bowl season. So, right. Absolutely. And, you know, it was really interesting, you know, the, the Raiders and, and Tennessee Titans franchises, their histories uh, go all the way back to 1960 with the dawn of the American football league and intertwined throughout the sixties because the, the, you know, the two stars of the Houston Oilers early on were George Blanda and Billy Cannon. They go on to star for the Raiders in, in the late sixties and were integral in winning the first AFL championship for the Houston Oilers and the Mm -hmm. Raiders first AFL championship in 1967. Wild. Yeah. They had uh, incredible careers for two different franchises. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of funny. When George Blanda was 45, he looked like a retired coal miner. Tom Brady's 45, <laughs> and he looks like fresh as a freaking daisy. <laughs> yeah, he does look a lot younger than his age, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> it's good living, right? Yes, indeed. So, Gary, you know, it's kind of funny is, you know, when when uh, two franchises uh, not in the same division uh, don't play each other, as often as division rivals, but uh, Raiders and Titans, we sat, certainly uh, you know had our matchups uh, over the twenty years we uh, were on opposite uh, sidelines, but and we shared a press box. But you and I really got to know each other uh, going to league meetings, right? And and the NFL, especially for us uh, digital media folks, always had great social gatherings, great oh, yeah. social events, and that's where we not- got to know each other. Absolutely, yeah. They they did not hold back. It was great. And uh, you know, we used to we used to joke that us digital media folks were a bunch of alcoholics. Um, you know, the, <laughs> some crazy stories here because I remember we went to the Roosevelt in Los Angeles, and the NFL had to raise the bar tab. And I think that might have been the last time they had an open bar for us. That might be. That might be. I think you might be right on that front. <laughs> That was that was quite the night. I mean, we go to this this iconic uh, historic hotel in in Los Angeles, and we're in that. It was almost like a basement bar, and it had all those industrial features. And and yeah, they uh, they had to raise the the limit. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of us ended up at the Figueroa that night, like yep. Joey Buskirk and and some of those other cats from the league office. And but yeah, yep. that was uh, that was a great time. But uh, no, the the Nashville trip. The last one, the last league meetings I attended, we had we had such a great time, and I got a I got a funny story. So, um, we were 2016, I do believe. Yes, it was, and I'll never forget it because we're at at this place, and you can describe it better than I can. Um, was was called Acme, right? Yep. Go ahead. Acme Feed and Seed, right down there, right across uh, the Cumberland River. Right, right. The stadium was right across the Cumberland uh, from Acme, right down there at uh, Broadway, at the end of Broadway. Great, great place. Yeah, because because Nashville's, you know, it is Broadway. Everybody thinks of Nashville. It's Broadway. It's all the honky tonks. It's all the live country music. It's all that stuff. But this place was rather kind of cosmopolitan. It was a little different. Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot, lot of uh, 
like I said, three levels and really, really good food and good, good music. And I remember uh, everyone was kind of spread out and a lot of fun. A lot of fun was had that night. And I, and I, and I got to say, I misspoke because there was an open bar that night. And I tell you what, it was so funny because, you know, over the years I've become uh, a diehard scotch drinker and you, the Greg Brannon of the Carolina Panthers is also a scotch fanatic. And okay. And we kept trying to get some good scotch from the bar. And, <laughs> and the jackass bartender kept trying to serve us doers. I'm oh, like, no. Right. I'm not touching this stuff. It's not good enough for me to drink on an airplane, let alone <laughs> at, at a nice spotlight. Right. So, so Greg happened to notice there was a bottle of Glenfiddich up on the shelf. Ah. Right. So Greg goes and he gets gets us a couple of couple of drams of Glenfiddich. I'm like, all right. I'm like, what'd you have to do? He's like, I had to tip him a twenty. And I'm thinking, he's not paying for it. So what the hell does he care? Right? The bartender, <laughs> right? So George Scott's picking up, right? What's that? George Scott was picking up the tab. Exactly. So what was funny was a little while later we finished our drinks. Greg comes back with another couple of drams of, of Glen Fittich. We're like, all right, you know. So we're, now we're in a bag, and uh, having a grand old time. Well, the next time Greg goes to get us a refill, dude had turned the bottle of Glen Fittich so nobody could see the label. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> he literally turned. That is hysterical. Oh my god! And then what was the other place we went to that had like the 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 bowling alley, like the six lane boutique bowling oh. alley? What was that joint? Oh man, I'm trying to remember the name. Um, yeah, that was that was a fun spot. You could bowl, you could hang out at the bar, watch watch sports, just hang out, socialize. It had it all. I've never seen a place like that in my life. Yeah, that was fun. That was that was a good. You know, I had uh, Julius De La Cruz, who was my account rep, um, digital rep with with the NFL. We talked about, he came to visit us a couple of times during the relaunch of our websites back in 2009. And we always talked about, you know, what, when was the next digital meeting? What, what city was it going to be? In? And I always campaigned, like, we ought to do it in Nashville. We should do it in Nashville. And he's like, you know what? Every time he came, I think he kind of, the idea grew on him. And he eventually sold it uh, to George Scott, who was the head of NFL Digital. And we finally were able to pull it off for the 2016 um, year. And I was I was really proud that we were able to bring it to Nashville that year and get everyone, you know, downtown and have a good time and just kind of show off our town a little bit. So that's one of the highlights of my time with the Titans in that role as uh, senior director of digital media. So, you know what? It was a great time because, you know, it's kind of funny is I don't like country music. I'm not a country fan. I'm not a I respect it and I respect you know, it's place in our culture, but I'm just not a fan, right? So it took me, right. you know, a few trips to Nashville and be like, eh, it's not my kind of thing. It's not my place. I don't care for it. Well, the last few times I went, two things. Number one, I made it a point to put all that aside, especially, you know, going running through downtown at six o'clock in the morning with my friend Gary, <laughs> uh, hungover. Um, back, back when we ran. Back when we ran. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, uh, you know, I decided, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna see what this place is all about. And, you know, we stayed, we stayed out at, uh, you know, the Grand Ole Opry Resort, 
right? Gaylord, whatever that is, whatever they call it now. Um, and, you know, went running out there a few times and, you know, but I got, I went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. I went to the Johnny Cash Museum, tried to really see what the place was all about. But you know, one of my favorite places in Nashville I found is off Broadway. It's called the Poor House, P-O-U-R, a burger yes. bourbon place. Oh my gosh. Great whiskey selection, fantastic hamburgers. Yes. Yes, indeed. That's a good call right there. Yeah, and it was just one of those things where you kind of Google stuff, and you're like, because I, because I had gone in Pittsburgh, a buddy of mine, uh, we had found a burger bourbon joint, which I'd never freaking heard of in my life, and and had a grand old time, and found one in Nashville. I'm like, this is great, and it was it was you know eh, a little bit of a hike, right? But but it was uh, you know it was off Broadway, and you, you could go, you could relax. So what I found is with Nashville, there's something for everybody. Yes, it really is. I mean, the food variety is amazing. And, you know, I think that's one of the highlights of people coming from out of town is just checking out all the diversity and food options and gas, man, you'll leave putting on 10 pounds for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I found interesting too, you know, staying out at uh, the Gaylord Opry Lane Resort was Pat Sajak had started as a disc jockey (laughs) for the Grand Ole Opry for the the in-house radio station. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that before. That, that's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, they got like a, a picture and a plaque and all that because the radio station still exists. And you're like, you're kind of like a, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they've got like the in-house radio station, right? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the Gaylord uh, the place where a handful of teams have stayed over the years to play the Titans. But one team in particular had an experience there, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, when Tom Coughlin was their head coach. Apparently... He got it's such a huge place. You've been there. Like they got all these different quadrants yeah. around the facility. And you know, the team stayed in one of the quadrants and it's easy to get lost. I've gotten turned around in that place tons of times. And apparently Tom Coughlin got lost on the way to one of their team meetings. Oh, and he late and he was really, really ticked off, got on the advanced guy about it and said, We are never staying here again. <laughs> <laughs> It was a pretty funny story because we know how uptight uh, Tom Coughlin can, can be at times. Right. Absolutely. And, I, you know, we had stayed somewhere like near downtown one time. And then I think the last two times we played the Titans, uh, I think it was in 15 and 16 uh, or 16 and 17, whatever it was. We ended up staying out at the uh, Opryland and, you know, it's off the beaten path now. It's out in the weeds. It's it's nowhere near downtown, yeah. uh, you know, and Which again, to uh, you know, not tempt the players to get out and party at night down on Broadway. So I get it. Yeah, that's why you put a team in Las Vegas. Anyway, um, <laughs> my old employer, right? Yeah, I don't think yes. that's you know, it's 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 why they used to say the University of Hawaii used to win so many games when June Jones was the head coach. All these teams would right. go out, go out to Hawaii and spend all the time, uh, you know, on the beach at the tiki bars and everything else, and then they didn't want to play the next day. June Jones, who's who was the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons when I first started there in 1994. And you know what? He was one hell of a coach, uh, one of the uh, big proponents of the run and shoot offense. Oh yeah, yep. yep. He had yeah. Mouse Davis was his uh, offensive coordinator with with the Falcons, and they ran that run and shoot, four wide receivers, and uh, it was electric. When we had Ironhead Hayward as the running back, Jeff George flinging it around at quarterback. Man, mm-hmm. it was uh, fun to watch. Yeah, it was. It just uh, didn't win anything. It did not. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not running and shooting in Buffalo in January. <laughs> nope, not at all. No, you better you better hope you have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. You run that offense. 
Yep. I was there four years. The one year we made the playoffs uh, was, I believe, the 97 season. And we had to open up in Green Bay. And that, that was in you know, Favre's heyday. And that didn't go very well, obviously. So, right. Um, but they did beat the 49ers the last game of the season. They called it the Peachtree Miracle in order to get in the playoffs. And that was uh, that was pretty special because the 49ers had the Falcons number year after year. It was ugly. <laughs> well, but how many miracle the- games were you part of for crying out loud? Music City Miracle, well, that- Peachtree yeah. Miracle. Seriously, Gary. Yeah, the Music City Miracle. That's one I'll never forget. And uh, ironically enough, that particular game, I'm just the digital guy up in the press box, but our PR guy at the time, Tony Wiley, uh, asked me if I would go down and record um, the officials meeting at the end of the game because there was a there was a questionable call that uh, involved you know officials making their explanation after the game, the, the pool report, that's what it was called. So I went right. down there and recorded it. So I went down with about five minutes left in the game and was standing about the 10-yard line kind of watching the end of the game, knowing I'd have to go in the officials' locker room right afterwards. And I got to witness that whole play come right at me. And there was a photographer on the opposite side of the field that when when the NFL used to have their um, publications that they did, they'd send photographers to the games. And he actually got a great shot of Dyson running right past me. And and I'm in the background, and I ended up getting it blown up and got Kevin to sign it, and it, it you know, sits on my wall in my, in my bonus room. Um, so a pretty special moment there that, that you know, got to be – in the background one in one of the most famous plays in the history of the game. So kind of a neat story. Yeah. Yeah. Kiss my ass. I'm freaking freezing <laughs> to death at the freaking tuck rule game in 2001. Thanks. Appreciate you. Yeah. I end up on no the problem. wrong end of one of the most iconic plays in NFL history. Yeah. But you guys got our number in the AFC title game back in 2002. So, you know, that was disappointing. thought we had a real good chance to get back to the Super Bowl that year. And you guys, dampened uh you know the story there so thanks a lot jerry well you're welcome you know payback's a bitch i mean we got you uh, like early in the season like freaking 52 to 25 or whatever it was Uh, yeah that was ugly yeah i mean two special teams touchdowns in that game right punt return kick return and then uh in the afc championship game tennessee was actually up at half and i kept thinking you know what there's no way we're losing this game i don't know what it was i just had this this feeling you know, that the game yeah. was going to turn around. It turned on a special teams play with a block punt. And uh, on kickoff return by Robert Holcomb, I believe. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He fumbled. Yeah, yep. he fumbled uh, on the kickoff and gave the Raiders great field position. And Raiders go on to win uh, 42 to 24. Of course, we get smoked in the Super Bowl by Tampa Bay. But, um, you know, the fact that I got to work a Super Bowl for my team, um, my favorite team growing up, uh, you know, the fact that I had this dream job for 20 years, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would love to have the right ring. I, all I got was the, the AFC championship ring, but you know, it's, it's got my name on it and I, I wouldn't trade that or any of those experiences for anything. And, you know, awesome. yeah. And you got to work, uh, you know, Super Bowls yourself as part of uh, league staff. I did. Uh, when I was with the Falcons, uh, I asked my boss if I could, you know, volunteer at the Super Bowl. And he didn't let me do it the first couple of years, but my last two years he did. And then when I moved to the Titans, um, my boss was kind enough to let me continue to do that uh, for the next several years. So I got to end up working 10 of them. And uh, it was just as a volunteer, we got to do media registration, uh, credential, issuing credentials, and just, you know, really interacting with the media a lot. And, and it was so much fun. We were on the, the quote team. So each day they had press conferences, you know, whether it was media day or at the, at the 
in various team hotels, we would go and we would either be assigned to AFC or the NFC. And our quote team captain, mine was always Charlie Dayton, who was with the Panthers, who was my boss when I was with, with the Redskins. Then he ended up going to Carolina, but he was always the NFC quote team captain and always pulled me on his team since I used to work with him. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that experience. It was fun, you know, being up close and personal, you know, with all the big names of the game and, and you know, working with media members. And, you know, it was just an experience I'll never, ever forget. You know, that's uh, an interesting way to look at it, because one of the things that I figured out early, early on was that um, you get to mix and mingle with a lot of these guys that you saw on on like ESPN and all the different networks, right? And by the end of my career, I'm interviewing Chris Collinsworth, right? And, yeah. you know, early on, I'm talking to Chris Berman at Media Day at the Super Bowl. And then along the way, uh, you meet a guy like John Clayton. Unfortunately, John, oh, yeah. John passed away uh, uh-huh. very so recently. Yeah, what a great guy John Clayton was. Such a good man. And, I, and again, I got to know him probably through the Super Bowl as well, media registration, that he would come to a handful of Titans games as well. But really, it was more through working the Super Bowls. And what a great person. Like, he didn't, you know, he, he talked the same to everybody. It didn't matter if you were a nobody like myself. He treated you with class and kindness. And uh, such a sad thing to hear he passed away. Um, he was so so good at what he did. A true pro, one of the best who ever did it, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Hall of Fame, right? And, you know, guy, sure. guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, you know, I met him early on. And every time, uh, you know, we shared a press box, we always made it a, a point to catch up and and uh, chat. And I've got, you know, it's so funny. All these, these former players that have passed away and, and coaches, like we lost uh, John Madden recently. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as of this week, uh, Daryl LaMonica, who yeah. I, I knew very well and, you know, when you I'm disturbed by how few photos I have of me with these people. Yes. And I just happen to have a picture of me with John Clayton. Oh, that's all. I saw that when you posted that, that that's, that was really, really cool that, that you had that. And what a great opportunity to, you know, get a photo with him when he came to a Raiders game. And I'm sure that's something you will always cherish. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, it's interesting because, you know, all the different people we've met, right? I've got a chance to mm-hmm. chat with CC Sabathia on a sideline. He's a big, big Raider fan, grew up in Vallejo, California. I met him at a, a Raider-Steelers game in Pittsburgh. I met actor Nonzo Anozzi, who, who was on Game of Thrones. I met him in a hotel bar in Los Angeles at one of our mm-hmm. league meetings. It's just amazing the different people that we, you know, not obviously we're going to name drop, right? Because that's what we're doing right now is name dropping. But all the different people, I mean, I knew Coach Madden, not well, but, you know, I'd spoken to him on a a few occasions. And, um, you know. uh, It was always so cool when, when, like, the lead broadcast team would come in, like if it was a Monday night game or a Sunday night game, you know, they'd come in on Fridays, you know, to watch, watch the practice and, you know, visit with the head coaches and they would do the production meetings with the players. And so you would see, you know, the John Grudens and the, and the John Maddens, you know, out on the sideline of your practice. And it was always neat to see that, you know, firsthand and be like, man, that's that's really cool. This is pretty special being this up close and personal. Yeah. And Al Michaels had come and Michelle Tafoya or, you know, I was I was telling a, the story not that long ago. You know, Shelly Smith uh, was covering Monday Night Football uh, and I forget who we were playing, but my man Craig Long 
uh, who's in our PR department, dear departed Craig Long, unfortunately, uh, he used to host our, our web video show called On the Edge. And after the Monday Night Football game, we're doing a, a post-game edition of the show, and he's interviewing Shelly Smith. And, you know, Shelly went through the ringer with cancer, right? So yeah. she's on, like, her comeback tour. She's up at Raiders training camp about five, six years ago, and I wanted to interview her for a print piece I was working on, and she remembered my name. Oh, I'm like, here's somebody who knows cool. thousands of people who just went through hell, holy hell with, with cancer and chemo and everything else, and she remembered who I was. And I was just yeah. like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, that's awesome. That's all. I got to know when I was in Atlanta because we were an NFC team that was broadcast on Fox a lot. Uh, Pam Oliver, you know, mm. a great supporter for Fox, and uh, that was just neat. I'd see her at the Super Bowl, you know, years later when I was with the Titans, and she same thing. She always remember my name, and and it's just really cool getting to get to know some of these folks. And I think those are some of the memories I will always take with me. Um, just the relationships, you know, whether it was a player or media member or a staff member. Um, just awesome, awesome experience in my lifetime. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I mean, obviously the players, right? I mean, we've come in contact with so many great players, whether they're, they're hall of famers or not. Um, you know, you had the, uh, opportunity to be around the great Steve McNair and a lot of great mm -hmm. Tennessee Titans players, you know, with me, it was, you know, um, Tim Brown and Jerry Rice and those guys, uh, Rich Gannon, of course. And, uh, you know, in the early 2000s and then later on to, to be at the podium with Carson Palmer when he came through and, yeah. and, or Randy Moss, uh, guys like that, uh, just, <laughs> just, you know, fantastic hall of fame players, uh, to be in the same room with them. And, and it's part of your job to talk to them. Oh, absolutely. It started for me back when I first interned with the Washington Redskins in college, because that was before free agency started because free agency kicked in, I believe in 1992 and so you know i watched the redskins for all these years with daryl green mark mm. monk gary clark uh you know gerald riggs all these players that were awesome players that were you know kind of heroes of mine and then i went to work for them and got to interact with them and help set up interviews with them and i thought man I'm, i just went to heaven <laughs> i went to heaven uh it was, it was pretty cool and then i went to green bay after that and you know, Sterling Sharp was the big name on the team I was with in 1991. Um, Mike Tomczak. Well, Don Mikowski was the quarterback. The magic man. The magic man. He was hurt that year. So Mike Tomczak, who'd come over from the Bears, was the quarterback. And he pulled me aside one day as a PR intern and asked if I would do his fan mail. And he would pay me $500 a month. Well, I was only getting paid 700 by the Packers. So that was a nice little addition <laughs> to help make kind of helped make my time in green bay uh, uh you know a lot higher qu higher quality of life having that extra 500 dollars a month <laughs> let's say especially back then <laughs> oh no doubt oh, <laughs> and that man. was awesome um went to the atlanta falcons and they my first week there they, they said jeff george is going to be your guy that's going to be the guy that you deal with every day so he he was he was great i mean i know you know he was a little aloof at times um people might have perceived him that way but he was a great great guy and um kind of worked with him during my time there and got to know some other great players like Andre Risen and Craig Iron and Hayward, the late great running back. Um, like you said, in Tennessee, Steve McNair, gosh, Eddie George, uh, Derek Mason, you know, the, the list goes on and on over the years. And it's what a special thing to be, be involved with that. And, 
people would always ask you, Oh gosh, do you know the players? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm in the locker room almost every day and, and, you know, get to know them through the course of my work and what I do. And, um, you know, that's something very special that you don't take for granted when you're in it. And I never will, um, take for granted that experience that I had. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we both knew Andre Risen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So we had, yes. him at, we had him in Oakland in, uh, in the early two thousands. <laughs> we'll talk about a character. Uh, oh he, he was something else. Uh, boy, could he, uh, he could catch the football though. Um, oh, good man. He was always very jealous of Jerry Rice, you know, cause we were in the same division Falcons and 49ers back then, back then the NFC West, ironically, I don't know why the Falcons were in the NFC West, but yeah, were, and he was always jealous because he always played second fiddle to Jerry Rice and, but he was a great player in his own right and very confident player. And, uh, he was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I, I got to see some great ones like Art Monk, Gary Clark, Ricky Sanders, Sterling Sharp in Green Bay, and then Andre Risen. You know, we also had Terrence Mathis who caught a hundred balls. Do you have um, Eric Metcalf on that team too? Eric Metcalf was on that team. That guy was electric. Well. Uh, yeah, they had four wides. It was Metcalf, uh, Terrence Mathis, Risen, and they ended up signing JJ Burden from the Chiefs, who uh, ended up becoming a friend of mine. He's still to this day, and oh, wow. great, great guy. The motivational speaker lives out of Portland, um, but a great, great guy. I handled a lot of his interviews. So just the relationships you build along the way, just admiring all these great players that you get to see up close and personal. It's uh, like I said, a very special, very special career that I'll and never, then, you know, never forget. And then we threw Ryzen over for rice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is like that Taco Bell commercial where, where, uh, where the girl throws her boyfriend over for a taco. It's, oh, it's kind of what we did with, with uh, Andre Risen, tossed him over for Jerry Rice. A uh, couple of stories on Andre Risen when he was with the Falcons. First, he, you know, he dated Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Um, yeah, we had to crop her out of a photo. Yeah, I guess they had a little issue relationship-wise. They were kind of up and down. You, you think? She burned his yeah, house he, uh, down. You know, his house caught on fire and oh, burned yeah. down. Yeah, his house, <laughs> quote-unquote, caught on fire. I'm doing air quotes, Gare. <laughs> It caught on fire. Yeah, she burned his house down. I remember he, he showed up at the facility the next day, and basically the equipment manager had to give him some clothes to wear. Like oh. He lost everything, and it was it was kind of sad. But um, and I know he loved her, and you know they you know unfortunately she passed away in a car accident. I think when she was on vacation, like in Mexico, or yeah, it was like a bus accident or something went off a cliff. Yeah, yeah it was it, it was, was pretty tragic. Very tragic. Yeah, but um, she showed up. You know, practiced some. We'd see her around. You know, the facility. And uh, there were definitely an item that was, you know, kind of on and off over the years. But yeah, there was some um, community event, and uh, she showed up, and um, we ended up having to crop her out. Andre didn't <laughs> want her in the picture. Yeah. Like, okay. And then the one, <laughs> the one story, a couple of things about him. I guess I would dress kind of preppy, preppy back in the day, and I would be the, the the PR rep at practice each day. And I remember one day out of practice during warm ups, he looked at me and he goes, "Man, you look like something out of a Sears catalog." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to take that. I was like, well, maybe I need to change my attire a little bit. Little, You're little not bit. edgy, apparently. No, apparently <laughs> not. Not back then. Probably not now either. But Well, I um, did introduce you as mild-mannered. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> I was that margarita holding up. You need a refresher? <laughs> and then the other Andre Risen story I have is uh, it was we were approaching Thanksgiving Day weekend, and the John Stewart show, I think he was on MTV back at the time, they wanted to have him on. And so I worked with um, their producers to arrange flights for Andre 
he was supposed to fly out, you know, I think Friday after practice, he was going to go, you know, shoot some stuff in New York city. And we had it all worked out. So I worked it out with Andre. He was on board. Well, I get this phone call over the weekend from the producer and he's like, uh, we want to pick up Andre at the airport and he wasn't on the flight. I'm like, Oh my goodness. And so they ended up getting, I think they ended up getting Gilbert Gottfried to take his place. The, oh, the late Gilbert Gottfried just passed away. Just, yeah. So I said, I just apologize. I didn't know, you know, what happened. Um, but I obviously talked to Andre about it. Um, that next day when we got, everyone got back into town from the holiday. And I said, Andre, what happened? He goes, oh, man, I was uh, I was late getting to the airport, so I just said, blanket. Um, I won't say the word he said. <laughs> you was, feel, feel free, Gary. All right, well, um, okay. So that's, that, you know, he was <laughs> an interesting guy, a great player, but, you know, he had his, he had his uh, moments, and, you know, I'm sure he matured over the years, but um, that was unfortunate. Um, but that particular interview, uh, we try to set up for him, so. Yeah, no kidding. That that's awful. You know that he didn't <laughs> didn't show up for it. It's it's funny. You know that's the other thing too, right? We met or came in contact with like all kinds of celebrities. Never mind sportscasters, right? You know, um, we'll get into that in a second. You're listening to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host Jerry Knack, coming to you from the Get the Knack podcast studio in Ocean Shores, Washington, and I'm joined by my good friend and former colleague, all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, Gary Glenn. Gary, you know, we had an opportunity to meet Snoop Dogg. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, yeah, Snoop's this big Raiders fan. Snoop's a fan of whoever gives him free shit. Um, and <laughs> Snoop, Snoop had come to the facility, and he was doing his uh, Snoop Dogg televisile or whatever the hell it was called. And the whole object was he was going to try out for the team at, like, every position. It was yeah. it was the goofiest thing ever. It was so funny. While Snoop is is being his gregarious, uh, you know, engaging self, all his people were basically walking out the building with with jerseys and anything they can get their hands on. So the, all these things we ended up having to write off. It was it was pretty interesting. Adam Carolla came out to do something similar. I think for the Man Show, if you remember that yeah. with uh, with Jimmy Kimmel. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but we oh, have. That's awesome. Yeah, we used to get all kinds of uh, celebrities come out and, uh, you know, want to do this, that, or the other thing with us. Uh, Jay Moore, comedian Jay Moore, came out uh, one time uh, to do something. You know, he used to be part of, like, whatever pregame show. But uh, one of the craziest stories I could tell had to do with in the locker room. And Lincoln Kennedy, who you probably know from your Atlanta Falcons days. Uh, Lincoln blames me for this uh, to this day. And so we had Tyrone Wheatley on the roster at running back, and he was one of the, the bigger characters on the team. One one training camp, he decided to uh, imitate all the great running backs of all time. <laughs> so one practice, he's got the goggles on like Eric Dickerson, and he's running, you know, with the high step. And, uh, you know, another practice, he's running like Walter Payton, and he's trying to do all these things. But anyway, we're in a locker room, and I'm going to interview him. And I've got my camera and I've got the microphone and you know he's like, do I got to put a shirt on for this? I'm like, no, no, I'll just crop it, you know, from shoulders up, you know. Well, he proceeded to run around the locker room and nothing but a jock strap and a pair of cleats. Oh gosh! <laughs> and he jumped up on the. We had this counter between the locker room and the equipment room, and he put on a helmet with no face mask. 
<laughs> and hopped up on this counter in the, in this like big open window kind of thing, right? And oh, had this look on his face like he was going to eat somebody. And <laughs> Tim Brown walked into the locker room, took one look at what was going on, and walked right the hell out. I don't and blame him one bit. No. No, and and Lincoln to this day blames me for the whole thing, all because I told Tyrone he did not need to put a shirt on. <laughs> so you're the reason. I'm the reason, yeah, for these these crazy uh, locker room antics. Oh, but man. that is terrible. He was a character for sure. Oh yeah, great running back. Uh, you know, out of Michigan, uh, kind of flamed out with the Giants. Got a second life with the Raiders. Uh, you know, was part of the the number one uh, rushing attack in uh, in football in 2000 and. You know, mm-hmm. you know that was that was quite the quite the team. Went to the AFC Championship game, lost to Baltimore. Uh, but um, yeah, that was a that was a crazy thing about that time, Gary, because it was either it was either the Titans or the Raiders. Uh, you know, know, and and Baltimore was in that mix too. But it, you know, for for a three, four, five oh. year stretch, you know, it was it was you know we were Baltimore. all right there. You just put a dagger in my heart when you said Baltimore. Oh Jesus, oh, my- sorry. They, 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 no, they they put a dagger in our hearts a couple of times back in 2000 the year after the titans won the super bowl they were pretty awesome they had a really good defense that year and uh had home field advantage throughout the playoffs and it was all set up and all they had to do was beat the ravens to get to the afc championship game the next week in nashville but ray lewis uh you know had something to say about that and that was uh that was a tough one that was a real tough one and then eight years later same situation you know we started out 10 and 0 uh, had home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Of course, guess who comes to town? Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Baltimore. All we got to do is beat them, and we get to host the Pittsburgh Steelers the next week in the playoffs for the AFC title game. And we had beaten the Steelers just a couple of weeks prior uh, pretty handily. And unfortunately, that game, once again, Ray Lewis came to town, and you know, Chris Johnson had his way the first quarter. He was a rookie that year. Oh, yeah. Uh, got caught, un- caught under a pile, which allegedly – Ray Lewis might have twisted his ankle. That's the word on the street. Uh, <laughs> Can't prove it. Missed, yeah. He missed the rest of the game, and the Titans ended up losing that game. Of course, a couple key turnovers um, didn't help their cause. But, yeah. So, a few years ago, when the when the Ravens had home field advance throughout the playoffs and hosted the Titans, and the Titans had to go to Baltimore with Ryan Tannehill leading the way, um, getting that win, that was that was pretty special. Yeah, um, after especially for the longtime employees, people who have been a part of the organization all the way back to 2000. That just felt really nice getting that win in Baltimore. <laughs> hey, I was part of a thing where the Raiders lost to the Chargers 13 straight times, and Ooh. when we finally beat them, I practically did cartwheels in a press box. Ask Khalil Allen sometime about how I reacted to that one because I could not stand the Chargers at the time. Everybody thought Ladanian Tomlinson was the greatest running back in the history of running backs just because he would throw a little three yard option pass for a touchdown. Uh, Oh, he's the greatest to ever play the game. Mr. Fantasy stats, Mr. Fantasy numbers. Player though, you gotta you gotta give him props. He's no, no, I don't because he bitched out of every freaking playoff game he was ever in. Oh, my knee hurts. I'm not gonna play. <laughs> Quarterbacks playing with a torn ACL and freaking Tomlinson sitting out with a sore knee. Shut up. Uh, couldn't stand the guy <laughs> anyway, but you know, the chargers and, and, you know, beating the Raiders 13 straight times. And, and, you know, it was, uh, Michael Huff and Tyvon branch with a great strip sack on, on Philip freaking nine kids rivers. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, return for a touchdown and, 
Raiders ended up winning the game, and it was just one of those oh, things. It was the Titans for years as well. It was it was awful. Like every time we played San Diego, uh, it was just like okay, just chalk that up a loss. Um, <laughs> but they finally turned it around, you know, recently. And um, but that was tough. Like it, it got so bad where there people I knew on their team would always send me like an email apologizing the next day. I'm so sorry, Gary. I know this has been going on for a while. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Get a sympathy card from Joel yeah, Price and, and the Chargers. Basically, yeah. <laughs> the was another one. Great guy. Who great, was it? Great guy. Scott Yoffe. On the oh, yeah, staff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he, you see, you know, he was always down there celebrating after the wins. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks. Appreciate you. you kiss my ass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, there yeah. was a time when you know there was a time uh, in the late '90s. Uh, you know, the the Titans owned the owned the Raiders, and you know, I got sick and tired of that. And then, and we had that stretch where uh, where the Raiders were on top. And I mean, it all goes in cycles, right? It just, it does. you know. And uh, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about that uh, you know I really enjoyed, and especially later on in my career, is I got to do some things, um, you know, kind of on my own were a lot of the road trips and I don't know how much you traveled, but you know, I really, really enjoyed visiting all these different places, especially places I had never been before. You know, we talked about Nashville, but you know, being able to go to Seattle and now I live near here, live mm-hmm. nearby, getting down into, you know, Southern California into San Diego and then Los Angeles, uh, all places in Texas, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans is one of my favorite places on the planet. Not a, still not a big fan of Miami or Tampa or, you know, any Jacksonville. I'm not a big fan of Florida, but, you know, I have my demons, uh, you know. But to, to be able to go to New York City, we do, we do one of these extendo trips because we were playing the Jets and the Giants back-to-back, right? So I spent a lot of time in Manhattan on that trip. Or to be able to go to Boston on one trip early, you know, the, the weekend of the Tuck Rule game, I got to go see the Celtics play, right? Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Definitely so, very cool. I traveled from 98 all the way through the 2014 season. And then things kind of started getting really busy on the digital front where, you know, things were expected to be updated on the fly and like, you know, constant updates. And there was just too much lag time between, you know, only being in the press box for 45 minutes and you had time in the locker room or, you know, not a great connection. And then you were on a bus to the airport, then on the airplane, you know how the connections are in airplanes. Not great. Especially when you're uploading big files and things. Mm-hmm. So, I made a decision to um, kind of be, you know, run the mothership back in Nashville and, you know, let some other people travel. Um, and, what, and were, did, what were some of your favorite places to go? Oh, my gosh. Like you mentioned, some of them. New Orleans was always great. Uh, really enjoyed, like you said, Seattle, um, New York City, for sure. I think Chicago? I, Chicago's a great place oh, to go. Yeah. Loved it. And the only time I've seen the Grand Canyon was courtesy of a, of a Falcons road trip to Arizona. We used to travel out on Fridays for a Sunday game. So on a Saturday got together with some staff members and we drove out to the grand Canyon and that's the only time I've ever seen that. So that was really special, but just seeing, you know, getting to see the country and different cities and, you know, experiencing what that's like and different great restaurants and going to Chicago and getting the deep dish pizza, uh, you know, you know, oh, going yeah. out places where you have relatives and getting to see your family the night before the game was always really cool. Um, seeing the Cowboys Stadium when it first opened, I think in 2010, that was really, really special. Um, so yeah, a lot of great memories from road trips and, you know, you always had your boys you hung out with, uh, for me, it was our team photographer, 
Don Jones and our team chiropractor, Chuck Woosley. And we always uh, hung out and had a good time and just try to make the most of the trips. So The older you get, the, the more the team chiropractor becomes your friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No doubt about Especially it. Especially those no of us, those of us with chronic back issues. But yeah, I mean, the, those trips were were you know to to see these places and and like you said to go see family. Right, we go play Pittsburgh and I'd have family come down from Rochester, New York, where I grew up. Or you go play the Bills or or the Cleveland Browns and people will come over. Uh, like my best friend uh, from my hometown would come visit and you know go to the game or whatever. But we'd hang out the night before. And, uh, and all that. And, you know, the other thing, too, is we talked about players and, and some of the other uh, folks that we knew. But I'll tell you what, there was a group of us that grew up together in this business starting in the late 90s. I came in in 2000 uh, and, and all the way through 2015 and, and beyond. Um, and, and we all kind of grew up together in this business. And, and some who were with us early on and left, like Steve Harbula with the Denver Broncos. But, you know, and then we had some others come on later, like Kent Olson with the, the Seahawks or Matt Cook with the Bears. But we had, you know, obviously we had Joel Price uh, with the Chargers, Derek Eagleton with the Cowboys, and Nick Shank with the, the Houston Texans. And, uh, you know, we've got Michelle Andrus with the, the Baltimore Ravens and, you know, the, the crew in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, we had uh, we had Fred, uh, Fred and Jana with the New England Patriots. And, mm-hmm. you know, just there was this core group of us. And Our we, boy, Dave Monroe. Yes. Yeah, Dave, you can't can't forget uh, Dave Monroe. Obviously, we both owe him a phone call uh, with yep. the with the Carolina Panthers. And we talked about uh, Greg Brandon earlier. Um but you know, and then and then we had uh, we had Chrissy with the Detroit Lions for a while, and uh, you know we had uh, Dan Plumley with the Indianapolis Colts and, and Darren Williams. Uh, you know, it just there was this core group of us. We're all about the same age too, right? Which made it even more cool. And and we all you know we did our business at the league meetings during the day. Some of us pounded on the desk and yelled and screamed about dumb shit, and then <laughs> you know we fought for what we believed in. Um, and but we all we all grew up together and and the thing about it and I will take this to my grave. We you and I talked about this the other day about some of the initiatives, but I will take this to my grave that some of us were responsible for what became the site map for every sports team website on the fucking planet. Mm. I remember yep. John Van Spike and I, John Van Spike of Epic Cycle at the time, San Diego web developer, we sat in a bar in Alameda, California, and on a cocktail napkin, drew out the ideal site map for Raiders.com. And this became the model for every team followed for years to come on how their website should be organized. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, we, we saw it from the inception. Uh, really, when I first started, you know, in, back in 98 with the Titans, every team was, you know, using these different website developers, and we were all going different directions. And then you know, that was that went on for years. <laughs> yeah, everything was different, time. right? Everything yep. was, you know, one team organized our site one way, another team organized it a different way. But by like 2002, 2003, you know, even though we were still using different developers, everybody started to, you know, look at that site structure like, hey, this is this works. Yes, agreed. Yeah, I think we, we shared a lot of great ideas at these meetings. And, yeah. You know, the NFL really started um, – ramping up their efforts on the NFL digital side. And we all came together and try to, you know, 
get a better product out there for all the teams. And I think that was successful on many fronts. And then, you know, 2009 came along and the NFL brought it all in house. And, you know, that was an interesting process doing that. And I know a lot of, there was a lot of teams, you know, showing resistance like the Cowboys and, I think the Redskins were one. Oh, me and uh, Shree Paul. Me, me and Shree Paul, the, the meetings in yeah. Philadelphia. I think it was in 06. We we had a fit because we're like, the last yeah. thing we want to be is Major League Baseball Advanced Media. That was the last thing right. we wanted to be. Agreed. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. There was a lot of resistance from some. And, um, you know, eventually everyone came on board with it. And and then obviously the, the second relaunch, I think, I believe it was in 2018, um, which was a much better system. And I think I think things are looking really strong for for the clubs now. I, I agree with you. It took a long long time to get there, but I agree with you on your on your last point. But you know, so many teams, so many so many of us had worked so hard at our digital brand, we didn't want to lose it. But one of the things that you know, if we want to talk broadly about web development in general, which was our our bailiwick, in addition to feeding these things, these beasts, all this content. Early on, and actually for the better part of 10 years, we were all wrapped up in design. We were all wrapped up in what these things looked like. And you know what? It ended up not being that big of a deal. Because (laughs) if you didn't have the content to feed the damn things, who gave a shit what they look like? Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what matters. That's what fans want is the content. Yeah, they know yeah, what that, website they're on. They know that you know yeah. they're on the Titans or the Raiders or the Cowboys or the Packers or whoever. They know what site they went to. But we exactly. were we were so afraid that the NFL was going to force feed content down everybody's throat. Also, in addition to the right. standardized design, and we didn't want to have anything to do with it. I know you probably had a pretty small staff back in the day as well. We were yeah. pretty tight for many years, and used a lot of local interns from Vanderbilt and from Belmont University, and finally, you know around 2015 made the decision to hire a full-time writer and initially it was going to be one of the interns we had used for about a year and a half and then the discussion came on about hey if we're going to make this full-time why don't we go after the best in town so we went after jim wyatt from the tennessean who covered Mm, us for years and uh to me that was a game changer uh for the titans content really getting someone of his class and level and, you know, it's 100,000 Twitter followers coming on board. And, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you're a legitimate news source. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was really cool to work with Jim. And it's definitely one of the highlights of my careers of my career, work, work with him and several others within our department. Jeff Harding, who's an all star, um, was an intern of mine, shipped him off to Green Bay. Then he came back in 2009 when we uh, had to you know go on the new platform with the NFL and worked with a lot of great people over the years but jim wyatt was uh so much fun to work with he had a lot of great stories of his own um covering covering the team you know for the tennessean so um but just need to see the evolution of content on all these uh team sites over the years yeah i agree it, it really went from you know let's update the, th- the site once a day to let's update the <laughs> site five six seven eight times a day and- yeah no kidding yeah, and you know. Jim for us, he, he's a he's a grinder, and you know he he didn't miss a beat because he he worked that way with the Tennessean and brought that same mentality over to the Titans, so we didn't miss much. Right, right. Well, you know, we were talking about uh, all the road trips and all the the great things we got to do and all the great people we've got to meet. Um, you know, one of the things that you and I kind of discovered a love for almost at the same time, um, 
kind of overlapped was was running right and i and i gotta admit i i haven't run much in the last couple of years and need to get back into it and but it was interesting because something you told me the other day and and you can repeat the the story or not but i thought of it afterwards you know i, I worked with will kiss in our, our public relations department and will will's wife uh, you know, he said something to her about running 10 K's or whatever, like it was no big deal. And she challenged him. She said, you know what? You go run. So he went out and ran a mile and he about dropped dead. Uh, <laughs> but then he was determined, right? So this guy went from zero to, you know, 180 overnight. And he was running like a, like a fiend, right? He lost a ton of weight and, you know, was, was running like crazy. But at the same time, you know, I was doing a lot of running. Most I ever did competitively was a 5k. I looked at doing doing some other stuff, but then I had that back injury in in 2015 and kind of slowed me down and haven't uh, you know been been too competitive. But the one thing I did, I mean, I set a goal. God, it had to be 2015. Yeah, mm-hmm. it had to be 2015. And I said, you know what? Every road trip, I'm going to go for a run. I don't care if it's a, a two night trip or a one night trip. I'm going for a run in every city we visit. And the first year, I got them all. Went to Detroit. And I got the flu. Oh. So, you know, Detroit, I had, would have had to go on out in Kevlar body armor and, and maybe carrying a gun. Uh, <laughs> but I was going to do it. But I got the flu. And it was funny because that was the weekend Charles Woodson announced his retirement from football. And I, I interviewed him that weekend before he made the announcement. Uh, it was, you know... I think it was later that week he he made the announcement he was going to retire. I interviewed him that weekend, you know, sick as a dog, tried to stay away, (laughs) not breathe on him. Um, But uh, the next year, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run every city. And we got to Denver late in the year, and I got the flu again. So I'm like, what the hell do I got to do to accomplish this goal? So 2017, we even had Mexico City on on the list. And I had run in Mexico City a year before and failed miserably. I had to stop every half mile. It was horrible. But this time I was in much better shape. The only time we stopped were to take pictures and sightsee as opposed to the fact I was about to drop dead. Um, But anyway, got to L.A. was the last road trip of the year. Went running with my buddy Sal, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, And uh, I did it. I accomplished the goal. I ran in every city. I mean, preseason, regular season, you name it, I did it. It was awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. We used to uh, used to run with our team photographer, um, Don Jones, on some of the road trips. Probably not as religiously as you did, but that was always a good time to get out. Like, you know, we'd land and, you know, get to the hotel around 5 o'clock and, like, hey, let's go for a run, you know, shortly after we get to the hotel and just kind of get that in. Or, you know, the next morning early on, but – Always, always neat to kind of you know get out and see your surroundings and something new and just check out all the sites. You know, it was a great way, Gary, to to see the different cities. Right? I mean, I did the Riverwalk in Chicago, did Riverwalk in Tampa, I did, um, you know, this great run in Pittsburgh along two of the three mm-hmm. rivers. And Pittsburgh, that's a great area. For yeah, sure. isn't that a nice one? Right, ran in Seattle. Um, with a, I don't know, 17 degree grade uphill. That was fun. And down by the, down, down by the shoreline. I yep. did that as well. Yep. yep. That was, awesome. uh, that was interesting. Um, let's see, trying to think of some of the other, other really, really good ones. Uh, we hit, you know, being in the AFC, we, we played them some and, uh, that was always a kind of a good one as well that I recall. 
my longest run of my entire life was in Baltimore. I did eight miles. And, and you lived. Well, yeah, but you know, we were, we were, we, I got lost. I, uh, I, I was, I was going out to Fort McHenry. I plotted a route, six mile route, going out to Fort McHenry and back. And it mapped me back to the wrong hotel. Ooh. So I knew it was the wrong hotel, but I figured, well, Marriott, one Marriott, they'll know where the other one is. So I got directions. Oh, yeah, it's only like a mile. No, it was another two miles. So I ended up doing an eight-mile run in Baltimore, which was actually a lot of fun. The crazy thing was I ran by a biker bar slash funeral parlor. (laughs) I thought I was going to die. They were in the middle of a ceremony. And so all these freaking toughs are outside this freaking biker bar funeral parlor. I'm like, oh, God. Did, huh? What's that? Started picking up the pace a little. It just bit, told- <laughs> yeah. You know, you know how on, on the Nike Running Club app it, it shows red when you go faster. Yeah, I went. Yeah, yeah a couple of blocks there. I went a little faster. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Smart on your part for sure. <laughs> I thought I was gonna. I run through some sketchy neighborhoods and like Buffalo and some other places. I'm like, I, I've never feared for my life except for that moment in Baltimore. Oh man. Man, I, I started running back in 2010. Uh, my, my ex-wife started running, and she was really good at it. And she was starting, you know, started out with 5Ks and started advancing to 10Ks and a half marathons. And I was watching this take place before my very eyes. And just one night, we're watching TV, and I just complimented her. I was like, "Man, you're doing great on your running." And uh, she looked over at me, and she, she said, "I'll never forget it." She said, "Do you even do anything to stay in shape?" oh that hurt bad that hurt bad and it really motivated me i I just couldn't sleep that night i was like man that really kind of pissed me off but it also challenged me so the next day i decided to start walking slash jogging around the neighborhood and it really started with literally me jogging about 100 feet and being being winded and i (laughs) what i started doing was was just trying to jog as far as i could until i got tired then i would walk so I could catch my breath. And then once I did start jogging again, try to spread it out, spread it out. And eventually that worked. And about a month or two later, I ran my first 5k and advanced that to a 10k and then, um, eventually to a half marathon and did 10 of those for about five years. And then it came to a sudden stop <laughs> in 2015, uh, which I need to get back to, which, um, trying to get back to that wasn't the time you and i ran together was it that wasn't the last one (laughs) i mean you know we we probably ran a little bit after that because i wasn't quite feeling up to par that day but (laughs) you think uh, i loved loved it and like the best half marathon i ever ran and i did it i think three times was one in nashville the country music i think they call it the saint jude's um marathon it is outstanding. It goes all around all the key iconic spots in Nashville through the different communities. It's the whole city comes to life. You got people lined up along the sides, almost the entire race, uh, little kids giving you high fives, people passing out beer, food. And it starts on Broadway with just thousands of people and it's electric. And all I can say is the adrenaline alone gets you through the race especially early on um but i I would love to be able to do that race again uh before i get too old (laughs) never mind the 6 30 in the morning hog nose whiskey fueled run you and i went on with with a couple of buddies freaking tom brady not that tom brady but the other tom brady Brady. 
Yeah. And Derek Eagleton of the Cowboys. And Eagleton's a stud. Oh, my God. Man, can that guy run. And, you know, I'm sweating alcohol the whole freaking time from God knows (laughs) what the event was the night before. And I was wondering what the smell was, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was bad. Now I know. Now you know. It was one of the worst runs of my life. It was miserable. I couldn't keep up with you and that stupid little oh. bridge. Oh, my uh, God. As we ran around we Nissan Stadium. Of, and Yep. We have a lot of hills. <sighs> um, oh, speaking of running a Nissan Stadium, when we had when we hired Ken Wisenhunt as our head coach, he was with us not too terribly long, 2014 and I guess half of the 15 season. Uh, but we have our Titans 5K. And so Ken is a runner. And we kind of talked about that. Uh, we, um, Ken and I had uh, the Washington Redskins in common because he was actually a player on the team when I interned there as a PR intern. All right. Uh, back in the day. So that's how I reconnected with him when he first got hired. But we talked about running because I guess it came up that we both ran. And so he ran in the 5K and I, I took a GoPro with me and I wanted to kind of hang with him. Um, during the Titans 5K to get some video of him. And um, he's probably a little more advanced than I was at the time, so I had to pull everything I had to hang with him to get to get video of him. But, um, yeah, that's one of my memories of uh, Ken Wisenhunt and the Titans 5K. <laughs> but a well, great race in its own right. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I one of my better runs was uh, was one of the Raiders 5Ks. You know, it was, like, it was almost like a league initiative, right? Everybody was doing – holding yeah. team 5k's there for for a couple of years and then they were going to do some kind of other thing like a obstacle course type run almost like a spartan thing and then it didn't happen and then it right. all kind of dried up and and blew away but uh but yeah I had a we, we the ones we did they started inside the stadium and finished in the stadium parking lot and we'd run around like the Oakland estuary and you know it was like a wildlife preserve and we'd run around that and you know, yeah, we we had some good ones too. Not not quite as as good, but there was like this great freaking uh, video. I think it still exists. It's an under private label on YouTube. No, you're no, you can't see it. Um, of me running the the Oakland 5K or the Raiders 5K and talking an awful lot of shit while I did it. So there's proof that you actually did it. Yes, there's proof. There's proof actually. Okay. Look, I got bibs and medals and stuff around here somewhere. They're probably in a box in a closet. But yeah, I've got some proof. I ran some shit. Um, All right. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. I didn't freaking you know do very well, but I you know I ran and finished some things. I ran the Oakland Marathon 5K a couple of times. You know the Oakland Running Festival they call it. Did that a few times. Um, I did an organized 5K in the town I was living in. That was probably the last organized. 5k they called it the donut dash of all things <laughs> oh, wow yeah that was I think a- the toughest one i ever ran was at the jack daniels distillery um they had this at mile four they had a hill called um what do they call it something tied in with the jack daniels theme but it was it was a killer killer hill like it looked like uh lombard street in San oh Francisco. jesus <laughs> it would go uphill like that for about about a mile or oh, maybe my. not quite Enough to just wear you out, so the remainder of the race you were pretty much toast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember limping across the finish line at that one, thinking, "Am I really? Is this really worth it?" <laughs> uh, well, the reason yeah. why it was so tough, instead of water stations, they were handing out whiskey. 
Oh, they called it Whiskey Hill. That's what it was called. See, there you four. go. Whiskey Hill. And uh, it was a trip, though. It's out in the country, way, you know, beautiful, beautiful scenery. And, you know, a lot of, lot of participation, a lot of hills. That's one thing Tennessee is known for are, are the hills. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember. Better, better ready for that. Yeah. Yeah, did you uh, did you get hit with any uh, that cicada mess last year? Uh, we I'm trying to think, not really too bad where I live, but um, I know we had it about ten years prior. We had a really, really, really bad um, where there were just you know everywhere, wall to wall cicadas. <laughs> yeah, I um, remember when I lived in 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 Tennessee, when I lived in Memphis in that area, and then also in Maryland one year, um, freaking. Oh God, I hate those things. Yeah, they're freaking they were, harmless, but God, they're noisy like we were, and make a mess. Yeah. We were being invaded. It felt like by these little creatures. <laughs> <laughs> and, Something out of a freaking fifties horror movie. Yeah. It's like I remember like getting out the blower and blowing them off. You know, the back deck, and you know, thirty seconds later, it looked like you hadn't done a thing. They'd be all be back. And right, and then it, within twenty four hours, it's like all the little carcasses. Oh yeah, yeah. We'd gotten a new lab puppy back then, and it just wanted to eat them. And we're like, "No, no, don't do that." But uh, <laughs> yeah, don't no, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, uh, we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs right now, and uh, you know, we as we were talking the other day, um, just catching up, we were talking about how much we love basketball, and uh, you know, me being a big Celtics fan. Uh, Celtics up two zip on the Nets and play game three tomorrow. Uh, Bucks and Bulls going on this evening, and and uh, Milwaukee is is crushing Chicago right now. Atlanta came back to to beat Miami uh, to to make that two to one. Uh, Warriors are up three zip on Denver. Uh, it's uh, already even just round one. Lots of intrigues, key injuries. Uh, Devin Booker's hurt. Chris Middleton's hurt. Um, Rob Williams is going to come back for the Celtics, maybe even as early as tomorrow after having knee surgery. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. How is it going to play out? It's totally all these things going on you didn't expect to happen. Um, but man, it's been a great playoff so far. A lot of spectacular finishes and comebacks. Last night, Memphis came from I think 23, 24 points down twice. They were down twenty six, and then they were down twenty one, and came back to beat Minnesota. Yeah, incredible. They got a really, they have a really nice team. Obviously, John Moran, spectacular player. Reminds me a lot of Allen Iverson back in the day. Um, Only longer. Yeah, longer. And this, this guy's, you know, got a lot of moxie, and he's he's something to watch. I'll tell you. Um, and I think he's got a better supporting cast than than Iverson's Sixers teams ever did. Yes, yeah, he does. And you know, I think when he was out this year, they actually won quite a few games, yeah. even when he was out. They've got a nice, like you said, a nice supporting cast. And I think they just don't get a whole lot of notoriety, you know, being out of Memphis, smaller market, not on national TV a lot. Um, but they, they, I think they have a chance to come out of the West. But my favorite out of the West, I'm still going to stick with Golden State. I think they've got a lot going on for them right now, especially with Jordan Poole playing the way he is. Oh, my goodness. Steph Curry coming back, you know, very effectively from his injury. So, They've got that playoff experience and, you know, uh, Thompson, you know, he's playing well. They've got Draymond Green in the middle. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm going to, if I had to pick someone out of the West, I'm going to go them. And I think the Grizzlies will see if they can get it done. Uh, They don't have that experience necessarily, but 
I think they have, definitely have the talent. I'll tell you okay. what, it's 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 an interesting team uh, coming out of Memphis, and you know they've they've had some some people's numbers, and with uh, with Devin Booker getting hurt for Phoenix, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can win tonight. Um, and you know that that Pelican squad, uh, you know, gave them fits in Game Two and, and came up with the victory. So, Surprising, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because this is just round one. Yeah. And, you know, more so than any other round one, either we've had close games or, like you said, fantastic finishes. You know, uh, Jason Tatum with the buzzer beater uh, for the Celtics uh, in game mm-hmm. one. And then last night, Joel Embiid with the game-winning three for Philadelphia at Toronto. Yeah. Uh, you know, in overtime. Uh, it's just been, been uh, you know, it was a great regular season, and it's an even even better playoff tournament. And then, you know, several questions remain. Are we ever going to see Ben Simmons? <laughs> I mean, well, they're saying maybe what? game four against the Celtics, but you know what? I don't think it's going to matter. Yeah, it may not. It might be, you know, too little too late. And the funniest part of this whole thing is LeBron and the Lakers didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I'm here for uh, it. <laughs> I, and I may have told you this, you know, being from the Northern Virginia, D.C. area, lifelong Washington Bullets slash Wizards fan. Mm. I know you're asking why. <laughs> But that's where my heart is from growing up there. And obviously I enjoyed the – I really enjoyed watching Russell Westbrook play last year from my team. I, he had a great season, averaged a triple-double, I do believe. He left his jump shot there. But he, he didn't have a great one, but he, he definitely regressed this year. No yeah. doubt about it. He left his jump he, shot in Washington because he didn't bring it to was, Los Angeles. No, he did not. <laughs> he didn't bring it. And I think that – I mean, everybody knew that wasn't going to be a great fit. I mean – he needs the ball in his hand, but he can't have the ball in his hand when you've got LeBron James on that team and Anthony Davis. He Absolutely. can't be the player. no, no, not, not at be. all. And that that was a disaster to begin with. And that's kind of been been the, the the thing his whole career, right? Oklahoma City and and Washington and now L.A. I mean, where does he fit, right? In- well, he fit pretty well with the Wizards because they had Bradley Beal, but beyond that, not much. So he got his touches and. It was pretty effective. But they didn't have uh, much else. I, no, they did not have much else. But he wanted his way out of there. He wanted to go back to L.A. And fortunately for the Wizards, they got a, you know, King's Ransom in that trade, which, you know, helps set them up nicely for the future. But sure. uh, still didn't get him in the playoffs this year. But I'm hopeful they can have a good draft and get things going the right direction, you know, for next year. So well, the latest rumor is there's going to be a fire sale in Utah. If Utah gets knocked out in the first round, which is really starting to look like Dallas is going to punch their ticket and and knock Utah out, um, you know they're talking Rudy Gobert's on the trade trade block after this. They're going to fire the coach Quinn Snyder. You, you know Utah is one of those those teams that, are, that I don't know why they they traded Joe Inglis away, even though he was you know tore his ACL. They still traded him away. Um, I don't quite understand what in the world is going on in Utah and why that team with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and the rest of the guys on that team, they just can't break through. Mm, that's crazy, isn't it? It is. It it's really is. Supremely talented team, and, and they just, whatever whatever it is, they get in the playoffs and they just can't advance uh, to the finals and, and win a championship. It really mm. is is nuts to me. And then, you know, Denver without without Murray – they're really struggling against Golden State. Golden State's clicking on all cylinders, as you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they seem to have that vibe that they had a few years ago when they you know, won three championships in five years. And uh, 
or went to the finals like five years in a row or whatever it was, Jordan Poole's really, really uh, going to be you know the next great player. Mm-hmm. But they've got so much depth on that team. They've got Wiggins, who's an All Star. They've got they've got guys who can't even get playoff minutes, who are supremely talented, like uh, Jonathan Kaminga, and, and players like that. So, you know, when they go to like this this shorter rotation, I, I, the way they the way they're playing right now, like you said, I, it'd be hard to see a team, you know, unless it's Phoenix uh, in the Western Conference yeah. Finals with Booker healthy. Uh, I don't right. see anybody beating Golden State. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Booker's such a big part of that Phoenix team, how they do without him. Um, I don't know. That's a, He's such an integral part of what they do. Um, but it's been kind of fun to watch that team uh, really do well the last couple of years. They've got a nice nucleus there as well. Yeah, and they're one of the deeper teams in the in the association, right? So they, they weathered that Chris Paul storm when he, when he broke his thumb. Uh, toward the end of the season, and and won a lot of games without Chris Paul. Uh, Mikael Bridges is one of the better defenders in in the NBA, and you know they're DeAndre Ayton. You know, my my problem with him is he can take over a game. He can dominate. He just doesn't do it often enough. Yeah, consistency. They need a little bit more of that out of him, probably. But um, yeah, it's been wild to see. You know the turnaround that franchise has, has taken in recent years. Yeah, weren't they like a thirteen-win team a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah not that long ago, right? Yeah, Chris Paul mind, you know, the latter part of his career too. It's really been impressive. Yeah, he's he's one of the better point guards to ever play the game. And you know, my argument is is this when it comes to you know everybody wants to talk about three point shot and the, the analytic, analytics and everything else. The best teams in the NBA make their mid-range jump shots, mm-hmm. right? And this is one of the things I said the whole time when Golden State was winning those titles. They always had a guy on the second unit who would make the mid-range, right? It was Sean Livingston. It was David West. It was it was guys like that, right? West was deadly from 15 feet. Livingston was deadly from 12 feet and in. They always made, and they never passed up a wide-open mid-range. Yeah. And you watch some of these teams, and I've seen Ben Simmons do it, you know, when he was with Philadelphia, pass up a shot at the rim to kick out for a three-point shot. I'm like, what are you doing? You never pass up an easy two. This is what this is what builds leads for you. And this is what makes Phoenix so deadly when you got a Chris Paul on the on the team that never misses from mid-range. That's why Chicago's going as far as they are. DeMar DeRozan doesn't miss mid-range shots. That dude is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely. That's what, why he was in the MVP what, conversation. Yeah, what a season he's had, huh? 100%. Right? It's just too bad Chicago yeah. doesn't have enough firepower to go with him. And, you know, yeah. Zach, Zach Levine's a nice player, but they're they're still missing too many pieces. And But, uh, you know, good to see Chicago back in the playoffs. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot. It, you know, it could be really interesting is Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and uh, Jokic – Harden, yep. not Harden, but um, but uh, uh, Kyrie and and Kevin Durant could all be out in the first round. Yeah, some of the greatest players something. to ever play the game could be knocked out of this year's tournament in the first round. Unbelievable! <laughs> it yeah, is. Harden, I think Harden's been maybe a little bit disappointing. You know, you know he's not quite to his normal level. I don't think. My thing with him is. You're not winning a championship with him on your team. Same thing with Westbrook. I mean, it's nice. These yeah. are these are nice players. They're 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 top seventy five players. 
You're not winning a championship. They're not that guy. I don't know what it is. And, you know, Harden's not the only one and Westbrook's not the only one. There's a couple other guys that you're just not going to win a title with the, you know, the closest Harden's ever going to get is that Houston team a few years ago when they missed 27 three-pointers in the deciding game of the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely has not come up big in the big moments in the playoffs. <laughs> right. And Draymond Green said it post-game last night. He said the playoffs aren't for everybody. Mm. Right. And look at look at Minnesota. Right. Minnesota is a perfect example. I, you know, Carl Anthony Towns was like the darling of the NBA in the last half of the season. They aren't ready for this. Eight they, points last night. That was it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you look at you look at the Nets and Kevin Durant. Right. He goes over 10 in the second half in game two against Boston. And, you know, I, I watched him make miraculous shots for Golden State the last time they won a title. You know, bottom line is. Durant's getting banged around by the Celtics. And he's I was watching that game with my son the other night and he said, Boy, he's really kind of thin. He's not real muscular, not you know, not Draymond Green type who's gonna push you around. He's definitely finesse and great player. But yeah, he can get pushed around a little bit. Yeah, and you know what? Look, we watched it in football for more than twenty years. You get worn down after you get banged on for an entire game. You're not mm-hmm. you're not your best in the fourth quarter unless you're Derrick Henry. Um, you know you're you're not your best in the fourth quarter after you're getting banged around the entire game. You don't have your legs under you. You're gonna miss shots you normally make. Yep, I will say though, man, I love me some Kevin Durant. <laughs> oh, I him, yeah, Olympics, uh, the summer ball, man, that was. I don't disagree with you, and after seeing him, yeah, the competition obviously isn't what he sees every night night in and night out in the NBA, you know, playing teams around the world. I don't think it's the same, but that was impressive watching him last summer. Oh, 100%. And I think he's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. And for somebody, you know, as long and tall as he is to be able to shoot the way he does, he gets his own shot whenever he wants it. He shoots over everybody from anywhere on Mm -hmm. the court. And I've never seen anything like it. But at the same time, you know, you look at the Celtics game plan and I kind of like it. All right. We're going to we're going to knock you around. We're going to make you yep. feel us. You're going to know you're in a fight. And that's exactly what's what's happened in, in two games. And, it, you know, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow in game three in Brooklyn. But, yeah, Durant's uh, one of the greatest players I've ever seen, one of the greatest scorers I've ever seen. And he's fun to watch. I don't like oh, watching Brooke, him against Brooke, my Celtics, but, you know. Yeah, it broke my heart when he did not come back to his hometown and play for his hometown Wizards uh, when he became became a free agent after his OKC run. I really was hoping that he would choose to come back home, but, you know, that wasn't the case. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about Harden, Harden is like a broken showerhead at the arena away from bitching his way off a fourth team. (laughs) You know, bitched his way out of Oklahoma. Um, Houston, I I mean, Houston fell apart. And they they broke up the entire thing. They got the, he got the coach fired. The, the whole thing went went south there. And then he bitched his way off the Brooklyn Nets. And and I mean I don't know how long it's going to be before he finds his way out of Philadelphia. Probably not long because that's his um, pattern. Yep. And I gotta say this whole super team superpower thing. I don't. I can't say I'm a huge fan of it. I mean, what did talking about Kevin Durant? What did he really prove going to Golden State and winning a title? Like, they already had a great team before he came there. I mean, 
why don't you stay in OKC and get one done there? They had a good team, good a good thing going. Why don't you go ahead and win that title there? Yeah, they were close, right? I mean, they lost in the finals, um, yeah. and and they had you know it was Harden and Westbrook and Durant, and you know they 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 really could have done something there for a long time because they were all yep. babies. This is why I value my guy Bradley Beal with my Wizards, man. He's going to choose to stay with them, finish out his career in Washington. He wants to finish what he started, and I hope they can do it for him. I hope they can build a championship contending team to reward that man. He's a great player and great individual. I do not disagree with you. So, but, uh, you know, Gary, we've been uh, prattling on for a while, and we could probably keep on going, reminiscing and talking about pro sports, but. I'm gonna Absolutely. Let, I'm going to let you uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday night and your weekend. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Man, had a great time. Would love to do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. You've got an open invitation here on the program. That's going to do it for this edition of the Get the Knack podcast. For my good friend and former colleague in the National Football League, Gary Glenn, I have been Jerry Knack. We'll talk to you next week.